0: May declare in Zion the name of the Lord and in Jerusalem his praise when peoples gather together and kingdoms to worship the Lord. Let's worship the Lord together. Would you bow with me? I want to invite you just um, in, in just a few quiet moments. Um, I know that Sunday morning can, can be somewhat difficult sometimes, and your weeks may not go exactly as, as you had planned. Uh, maybe sometimes um, you fall into sin, you fall into circumstances, and your heart is just burdened. Whether it's with worries, cares of the world, uh, or whether it's with sin uh, that uh, the Lord has brought to your attention, and He is working on you, um, if you would just take a few moments and get your heart right with the Lord, just quietly. No one's going to say a word. No one's going to look around, look at you. Uh, you just take a few moments and and unburden your heart this morning. Father, we are so grateful to know, as uh, the, the Spirit has so eloquently written for us in First John, that if we do sin, we have an advocate, Christ Jesus. He's the propitiation for our sins, not only for our sins, but for the whole world. And so we're promised in Scripture. Believers are promised that if we confess our sins... He is faithful, he is just, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, we thank you that that we can confess and we can receive from you forgiveness through our advocate, Jesus Christ. Lord, for those who have come through the door today and whatever it is they have brought with them, um, they just struggled to leave it at the door. And what they are before you and everyone, they are as real as they can possibly be. I pray that they would sense that you're meeting them where they are. That you love them, that you want to be to them what they need through your grace in their time of need. Lord, we pray that our hearts would all be prepared to to continue in worship, to hear the word read and preached. Lord, you know our hearts better than we know our own hearts and you know what we need to hear today. Lord, we pray that you would speak to each one of us through your word, that you would give us encouragement and hope that through it we could find our way forward, that we'd be reminded that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light into our path, and when we hide it in our heart, it helps us in our fight against sin. Lord, we thank you for our church and for what you have called us to be and to do in in our country and the world. In our little little town of Cherokee, Texas, we pray, God, that uh, we would be soft clay in your hands, moldable, pliable that we might be used for you, by you for your glory and your service as you deem fit. And Father, some of us may, may have a sense of you know things are going really well right now, and we, we praise you for that. When we have times when we feel like we're just so incredibly close to you, um, we, we thank you for that. We also thank you for the times, Lord, when we're brought to our knees in weakness. And are reminded that um, in order for you to use us in your service, uh, we have to lay down our ego, lay down our own sense of self-reliance, and say that your grace is enough for us. That you perfect your power in us when we come to you with our weakness. So Father, I pray that each one of us would would come to you with our weakness and uh, that we would receive... The power to serve and to be and to do. Lord, we pray for our country. We are deeply concerned about uh, what's going on in our country. Deeply concerned about what's going on in our world. What an opportunity for the church, for Christians to be salt and light. Lord, help us to always be ready to give a defense for the hope that is within us. We can do it with gentleness and respect. Uh, that we can say the name of Christ uh, with boldness, we can hold out the gospel hope uh, with cheerfulness, understanding that um, we only are sowers of seed, but that you give the reward. Father, we pray that there would be a revival that would come to our church, to each one of us individually, and that, that that revival would spread. Lord, you know good and well that we need a revival in our country. So we ask, Lord, uh, that in, your, in due time, in your good time, that you would send revival to our country. Lord, I pray that as we um, finish, as we continue in worship, as we continue uh, in what's laid out in front of us this morning, that all would be said and done uh, in spirit and in truth, through the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of the word, for your glory. And we pray it all. In Jesus'
1: name, amen. If you will turn in your copy of God's word to Romans chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses 21 through 28. It's also going to be on the screen. But now the
2: righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ So that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law.
1: I was listening to the song this morning that said, I am thankful that I'm incapable of doing any good on my own because it makes me dependent on you. And as this next song says, God, one of these days when I stand before you and the race is finished, I will say yet not I, but Christ When sin comes knocking and crouching at my door, my deliverance comes, yet not I, but through Christ in me. So we sing this song to you this morning, Father, and we pray that you will be glorified.
0: I get the sense that you guys are picking up on that song, and it's resonating. Um, Isn't that full of just wonderful theology, comforting theology? Um, I'm thinking, I'm not pining for that day to come by any stretch of the imagination, but when I'm lying on my deathbed, I'd be fine if I could just hear that in my ears, yet not I, but through Christ in me. When the race is, is complete, just the last thing I want to get out is yet not I but Christ. That's what we want to have in those times, right? It's something that gives us ballast in our, in our whole when life is like this. And we have that in Christ, which is why songs like that resonate so, so deeply within us. Well, I would ask you: Would you please take your copy of God's Word and turn to the book of Second Corinthians, chapter twelve? We'll be in verses one through ten this morning. Uh, if you did not bring a Bible, there's one around you in the pew somewhere. Please take that. It's so important for you to have in your hands a copy of God's Word. Uh, New Testament is in the back of the Bible, page one hundred and forty-five. You will be at Second Corinthians, chapter twelve, where currently in a sermon series called His Glorious Grace. It comes from 1 Ephesians 1 to the praise of His glorious grace. That's what Paul says there. And the subtitle of this morning's message is The Sufficiency of Grace. So I ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. This is God's Word. All right. I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears in me. So, to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let's pray, Father. As we break open the bread of life, we pray that you would feed our souls deeply with what we read here. We know that the Holy Spirit can take this word and impress it deep into our souls, convict our hearts and minds. We pray that would happen today. Lord, I pray that this sermon on suffering would be a great comfort to anyone who is going through this. That they would through any kind of suffering. That they would realize God. Uh, that the grace uh, that was ours in Christ and salvation and is ours in our sanctification is ours for suffering as well. We're thankful for for Paul uh, and for his faithful service to you and that this is captured in Scripture for us so that we can know uh, that there is a God walking with us in our suffering who will say to us, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Lord, we love you. We praise you. It's in Christ's name. We pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. As I've said, we've been going through a a sermon series on grace. And and up to this point, uh, well, maybe last week we made a a little bit of a switch. We've talked about how grace is God's unmerited favor. For instance, in salvation, um, there's nothing that we can do to earn God's favor so that He might save us. Can't hand him a resume, a list of good works, anything that we've done for those pale in comparison uh, to the stench that our sins are in the sight of God. Therefore, if there is salvation to be had at all, and there is, it is through Jesus Christ and through the grace that is available in Jesus Christ, the unmerited favor that God grants to sinful, undeserving rebels that they might be saved. That's one way to think about grace. But last week we started talking about how um, that salvation is not just our justification, it's our sanctification. And just as grace was the on-ramp through Christ to the Christian life, grace sustains us as we pursue holiness. And as we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, we learn that, that God grants us the grace to do that. Because it's Him that is working in us and through us both to will and to work for His good pleasure. So grace is is more about the power of the risen Christ living in us to give us what we need in our time of need. For instance, um, Paul is learning this lesson. He has learned this lesson that God's grace is sufficient. Now, By the word sufficient, I don't mean just kind of adequate, just okay, just so-so few weeks ago when I was preaching through the parable of the vineyard owner. One of the things I said over and over and over is that the aim of the vineyard owner was to meet the needs of the people that came to work for him. So I want you to think in terms, when I say grace is sufficient, it meets our needs. And not just barely. It doesn't just trip over the line. It doesn't circle around the bucket before it falls in. It is a swish. It is a slam dunk. God gloriously and lavishly meets our needs in His grace. You remember, at the end of the parable of the vineyard owner, there was a group of people that were only hired for one hour. And instead of thinking of how much work they had done, the vineyard owner lavishly met their need. He was more than sufficient with what he gave them. And so as we have begun this series, I think this is actually maybe week seven, we've learned that God's grace is sufficient for our salvation. In the perfect life, in the sacrificial death, in the victorious resurrection of Christ, God meets the need of the sinner for justification, for sanctification for glorification, for purification and holiness, for right standing with God, for forgiveness of sin. We talked about how when God forgives, it's it's unmatched, God's forgiveness. He removes our transgressions from us, not only from us, He removes them from His sight, puts them behind His back. He takes our record of wrong and He wipes it clean and He remembers it no more. He conquers sin Crushes it under his feet, throws it into the bottom of the sea to be remembered no more, so that one day his people, righteous in Christ, will be presented as holy, without blemish, and free from accusation, and all because of God's gloriously sufficient grace. And so then we see that the free gift of salvation was not at all like the trespass, no, it was much more glorious. God's grace is sufficient for our salvation but also for our sanctification. God meets the believer's need for holiness. God cleanses believers of sin. He creates a new heart within them. He writes His law on their hearts. And He causes them to walk in His ways. And as believers work out their salvation with fear and trembling, it is actually God who is the one working in them both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. And all because of God's gloriously sufficient grace. God's grace is also sufficient for our suffering. God's grace is sufficient when the issue in view isn't necessarily a matter of sin or obedience. Think about the story of Job. In his life, there wasn't an issue of whether or not Job was walking with the Lord. He was. It wasn't an issue of obedience or sin with Job. And that's where God's grace being sufficient for our suffering, that's something that Job had to learn. It's something that Paul had to learn. And it's something that you and I Everyone, I can't learn it for you, you can't learn it for me, you have to learn it for yourself. Now Paul suffered. Paul suffered greatly. In fact, when he was converted, and I put a scripture on the screen from Acts chapter nine, the Lord spoke to Ananias and told him, There's a guy named Saul, and you're to go to Straight Street, and you're to to lay your hands on this guy because he's blind. And, and and here's what and Ananias said, Lord, this guy is a bad dude. He has been going around and he has been putting people in jail. A lot of Christians have lost their lives on account of this man. And the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And Paul did suffer, make no doubt about it. He suffered, and I don't know that this is the right way to say it, but he did. He suffered professionally. He wasn't a professional, but in his calling, in his ministry as an apostle, Paul suffered. Look in in chapter 11, verse 23. He says, are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys. In danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, and often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is daily pressure on me. Of my anxiety for all the churches. there is no doubt that Paul suffered in his calling, his ministry, his profession. But we see today in this morning's text that Paul also suffered personally. It wasn't as a result of, of sin. It wasn't a suffering that Paul could expect to encounter and endure by the simple fact that he had been called to be an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a different kind of suffering. So let's talk about Paul's suffering for just a moment. In verse 7, Paul says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. So Paul is given this thorn in the flesh. And notice there it's highlighted. Yeah, you can see it. The word given. And I'll come back to that in a moment. That's going to factor in to uh, Paul's approach to, to suffering. But this thorn that is mentioned here, of course, we know that we have thorns around here. We have cactuses, stickers, doggone sand birds that are getting tracked into our church. and you It know, just happens this time of year. Those things are stickers. They're nuisances. They're annoyances. This word is the word for a steak. And I'm not talking about a medium rare one that Joey has cooked. I'm talking about a wooden pointed stake Paul wasn't literally impaled by a stake but the thorn must have caused Paul immense suffering the thorn was in the flesh meaning that likely it was some sort of physical ailment there's been numerous uh, theories put out there that Paul had a speech impediment uh, that he had epilepsy That he had a vision impairment, or hysteria, or depression. Or maybe he suffered from the ongoing effects of malaria. But anyway, notice this thorn was given to Paul. In this text is used a Greek construction in the grammar that is called a divine passive. When he says, it was given to me, nobody walked up on the street and said, here's a thorn for you. No, this came from on high. It was given to him by God. Don't miss this. God gave Paul this thorn. It was given to him by God. And what was this thorn? He says it was a messenger of Satan. Now that shouldn't strike us as odd if we know our Bibles. We know that in the book of Job that God said to Satan... Have you considered my servant Job? How he walks before me in righteousness. And Satan said, well, you don't ever, I mean, he's got a perfect wife. Why wouldn't he want to walk with you? And God allowed Satan to, to take away a lot of what Job dearly loved. And he didn't curse the Lord and die. And then Satan was given one other opportunity to inflict him with some physical ailments, but he wasn't allowed to kill him. And who was it that started that ball rolling? It wasn't Satan. It was God. Is God then on the hook for evil? No. God in His sovereignty is allowing Paul, He allowed Job to suffer at the hands of Satan. And I want to say that again. In His sovereignty. And I'm going to say that word quite a bit this morning. So a thorn was given to Paul in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, and that messenger of Satan was sent to harass Now, harass, that word means more than what you see in the English. It means to strike with the fists, to beat up, to harm. Paul was tormented by this suffering. Now, when we experience suffering, one of the first things we often say is, Why? Why, God? This makes no sense. And we don't often get the answer to the question, Why? but Paul does. See, we, we, we can look at the world and wonder why is there senseless and purposeless suffering? But we find in this text that Paul's suffering isn't senseless and purposeless. No. No. God is using this thorn to teach Paul, to mold him and make him more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. God is using suffering to teach Paul There's three things I want to draw out from the text. Three things that Paul learned that he was taught by God. The first one is to appreciate God's sovereign grace. When I say the word sovereign, here's what I want you to understand. That God has absolute, unrivaled control over all His creatures and all their circumstances. He is their absolute owner. He has absolute authority over them and absolute control. Now, God, uh, we, we understand this from Scripture because oftentimes when we pray, what's one of the first words we say? Lord. Right? And that's, that's a correct title for, for God the Father, God the Son. I don't know that we use that with the Holy Spirit, but certainly with God the Father and God the Son. In the Bible, Jesus is called Lord. God is called Sovereign, Potentate. Christ is called the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But understand this. God is no tyrant. He's not a Kim Jong-un. In His sovereignty, God is always good, always righteous, and always just. His sovereignty always reflects His glory and His nature. God's kind and gracious sovereignty over believers causes Him always to work for His glory and their good. And so in God's sovereignty, He gave Paul an extraordinary experience in a vision. Look at at, at verses 2 through 4. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. We don't know a whole lot about what Paul experienced, but I can say this. For Paul, it was one of the highest highs of his entire life. I think we could all agree with that. If you were suddenly transported to the third heaven, you might not want to come back. It's one of the highest highs. But then also notice, and and commentators... Can we just... Is this on... Let's just go to the pulpit mic. All right. Sorry about that. But you're awake now. (laughs) Commentators believe that at the same time, or very, very close thereabouts, when Paul had this vision, he also received the thorn. So in his sovereignty... God graciously gives to Paul the gift of being transported into paradise, the third heaven. To hear things that that man's not allowed to share. And then almost simultaneously, he goes to the lowest of lows. See, God in His sovereignty gives us both the highs and the lows. And in the thorn, God demonstrated His sovereign authority over Satan. Because Satan cannot bring suffering in any of our lives unless God allows it. And so with Paul, God not only allowed the thorn, the suffering, but he gave it. And the pain inflicted by this thorn was so bad that three times, verse 8, Paul says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Paul's thinking, God, if you if you are sovereign over all things, then you can remove this thorn. But God in his sovereignty chose not to remove the thorn. It was for Paul's good and for God's glory. See, Paul was coming to grips with God's not only God's sovereignty but God's good and wise sovereignty. To show that in his sovereignty, God was going to use in Paul, as God has often done in the scriptures, was going to use weakness to accomplish his purposes. Now right around this time in which Paul was writing, probably sometime a little after, Romans was written. And we all know that verse in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. That's, that's Paul right there appreciating sovereign grace. Suffering also taught Paul to welcome God's sanctifying grace. You see, Paul wasn't suffering senselessly without any purpose. The why of Paul's suffering is contained in verse 7. He says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations... And then at the end of verse 7, he says, to keep me from becoming conceited. That word in the Greek means, it, it's hyper-lifting up. It's, it's, it's a, a self-exaltation. It's saying to yourself, I'm a big deal. So God, to keep Paul from saying, I'm a big deal, Paul's given this thorn. Now... There's no indication that Paul was already thinking, I'm a big deal. That he had already become conceited and was in need of correction. No, notice it says, to keep me from becoming conceited. God was using this thorn as a preventative in Paul's life to keep him from becoming conceited. He was sanctifying Paul through his grace. And God knows more than any of us do that self-dependence is an enemy. Grace, if you have had children, you have encountered a time when they have said to you, Me do it, me do it. They jerk their hand away, like, Get your sanctification tested just a little bit. Me do it. If Paul began thinking, Me do it, then he would rely on himself more than he would on God. He would make himself to appear big and God to appear small. Paul would not experience the glory of God's grace unless he embraced his own weakness and experienced the power of God in that weakness. So in his sovereignty, God used this thorn to expose Paul's weakness so Paul would welcome the sanctifying grace of God. Look in verse 9. He says, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For the sake of Christ. Not purposeless, not senseless. For the sake of Christ. Paul says, I am content, verse 10. I am content. Now, that is not like... Somebody's got the baby down there, and that baby just sleeping like a baby. That baby's content. Th- that word in the Greek means well-pleased. I take pleasure in. I delight in weaknesses, insults. And as you continue to read through this list, they start out kind of on a spectrum of weak to really strong, really bad. N- not as easy, not as hard to endure And then really, really tough to endure. Weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. Paul knew that in these times, God's sanctifying grace would be unleashed to him. And so Paul welcomed that. Finally, suffering taught Paul to rely on God's sustaining grace. Again in verse 8, he says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. And the Lord said, No, no. He said, My grace is sufficient for you. It will sustain you. The Lord told him, My power is made perfect in weakness. He didn't say, My power is made perfect in ignorance, because Paul was not ignorant. He didn't say, My power is made perfect in incompetence. Because Paul was a competent minister. He didn't say that my power is made perfect in coldness toward the Lord. Paul had a deep relationship with the Lord. Not my power is made perfect in laziness. Paul worked hard. Not my power is made perfect in inaction that is born of compromise. No, Paul would take sin head on. Not my power is made perfect in despair. No. Paul had reason to be joyful. Even in this thorn, as hard as it was. No, Paul said, the Lord told him, my power is perfected in weakness. The weakness caused by this thorn in the flesh. And when we say made perfect, what that means is, is that in, in that weakness, God's power is seen for what it really is. It is put on display. You know, a lamp, unless it is has a power source, unless it's plugged in, it can do nothing in and of itself in trying to display light. But when you put the plug in the socket, then the lamp receives power. Without the power, the lamp is weak. When it's plugged into a power source outside of itself, then it becomes strong. The lamp goes from depending on itself to depending on the power source. And Paul is saying, when I rely on God's sustaining grace, what I'm learning is that I don't need to depend on myself. I need to depend upon God. And the Lord is saying that my power is supposed to work this way. in Now Paul didn't go on praying. That this thorn would be removed. Paul prayed three times. And then he stopped. And he rested in the sovereignty of God. He no longer prayed that God would remove the thorn. He learned instead to embrace the weakness that led him to trust in God's sustaining grace. In verse 9... He says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. That word literally means rest means dwell within. That I will have a new power source. And so when Paul suffered, he was taught to rely on God's sustaining grace so that he would say in verse 10, For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, that's not word salad. That's not wishful thinking. Paul is really and truly saying God is using this thorn to sanctify me. He's teaching me to rely on his power in my weakness. How long did Paul have to do this? 14 years. 14 years. Stop praying, pray three times, answer is no, my grace is sufficient for you, my power is perfected in weakness. Paul stops praying about take the thorn away and now it's Lord I want your power to rest upon me. And he had to put his money where his mouth is. Like maybe, maybe there's a statute of limitations on this thorn and it will run out at some point. No, every day I think Paul had to get up and say Lord your power is sufficient in my weakness. Your grace is sufficient for me. Fourteen years Paul suffered. But he suffered for the sake of Christ. Now the d- disciples, they followed Christ. But until his death and resurrection, I really think in part they followed a Christ to their own making. That's why they had such a hard time with, with the concept of a suffering Savior. And it's why Peter rebuked Jesus for talking about his suffering and death at the hand of the Jewish religious leaders. The disciples, they didn't want suffering. They wanted the glory that was to come when Rome was kicked out and there would be an end to suffering. So I kind of, maybe I'm wrong. I I don't think I am. I think they started out following Jesus for their own sake. More so their sake than his. And true change could only happen in their lives by coming into contact and following Jesus. The crucified and resurrected Christ. When they saw the risen Christ, it changed everything for them. They understood that suffering precedes glory. And they began to truly live for the sake of Christ. Because they had seen the risen Christ, they were willing to suffer anything for His sake. And the same is true for us. When the eyes of our hearts behold the risen Christ, we're filled with love for Him. And we're ready to do anything for Him. But are we ready to suffer? Are we ready to be made weak? Not not usually. We would rather be self-sufficient and strong. When suffering comes, we're more likely to want to pray it away than we are to ask God to show us the sufficiency of His grace in the midst of it. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't pray for suffering to be removed, but I am saying that we should be fine when God says no. For the sake of Christ and His all-sufficient grace, we should be fine with switching our prayer focus from, God, please make it go away, to God, please make me strong with your strength in the midst of my weakness. And when we come to that point, it's then when we are ready to experience God's all-sufficient grace, His sovereign, sanctifying, sustaining Father, we thank you for Paul's example. We know that Paul suffered probably more than most of us ever will. And yet you taught, you taught him so that we might know what suffering looks like in the midst of weakness. We thank you for making him strong through Christ Jesus so that he could be sustained Through all of the hardships and calamities and suffering that came his way. Lord, teach us that we have a cross to bear ourselves. And that we shouldn't push suffering away. How often we we squander opportunities to learn what it means to have an all sufficient grace in our Savior. Lord, use this time of response for your glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen you would please stand. We're going to sing, I need thee every hour. If there's any kind of decision you need to make at this time, I encourage you to come forward uh, as we all worship together. Be seated, please. Um, We need to go into a special call business meeting. So I'd have someone to uh, been moved by Stephanie that we have a special call business meeting, seconded by James. All in favor, say aye. Any opposed, say no. Uh, By the way, if you're not a member of our church and you'd like to slip out, there's no harm, no foul. If you have someplace you need to be, that's fine. We're going to try to do this quickly. But what we're about to do is to. to vote on three men, adding three men to our deacon body. So, what we've done in this process is uh, we have I've preached on uh, deacons, and then we had a time where we solicited from the congregation nominations of men uh, in our church that f- we felt would be qualified to serve as deacons. Three names rose to the top. That was Joel and uh, Jack and Brandon. And so we had brought these forward to you last week uh, to let you know that we were going to vote this Sunday by secret ballot. Uh, and to give you time, if you had any questions you wanted to ask these men, talk to them, any concerns you wanted to bring to, to myself or the deacons, that you could. Uh, and there was nothing that prevented us from, from thinking we should continue in the process. So if you're a member of the church, you should have a ballot If you would take that ballot, um, the question that Barbara asked earlier was, how many spots are we trying to fill? There's no particular number that we're trying to fill. Um, These three names rose to the top in the nominations that were given to the deacons. Um, And so we're submitting all three to be added to the deacon body. We're not trying to achieve a particular number of men who are serving. Um, So these three are on the ballot. would ask that if you're a church member, again, if you would just circle yes or no uh, by each name. And uh, then uh, deacons, if you would, um, we could have some deacons. If you'll just pass them one way or the other uh, toward the middle, we'll get those picked up. And uh, we will let you know before you're dismissed uh, whether or not these men... Have been approved by the church. Hey Jared, I'm gonna try to go on the wireless again. Okay. While they're doing that, um, I wanted to draw attention to a few things in, in uh, on the prayer list. Um, Addie Webster uh, did have a good week last week. Uh, Judge was at the ball game uh, Friday night, got to see us win a district championship. Praise the Lord. Um, and uh, looking good, um, glad that he was able to, to get out and come. Alicia Morales, that is uh, Pam Garcia's mom. Uh, she had a tumor removed from her, her uh, bowels, and so they're trying to discern whether or not it is, you know, what, what she's up against with that. Um, Andrew Dickinson, that's a friend of Kyler's. Do you know any update on, on Andrew? I know that he, he had a brain tumor, surgery, had trouble waking up, but he is awake now. Okay. So he's moving forward with therapy, specifically um, speech therapy. Continue to pray for the Ben Campbell family. Tomorrow will be uh, one week since the funeral. So continue to pray for them. Pray for Candice. I keep hearing good reports from her. What about... Charles left. Calvin. Do you know anything about Calvin? Doing good. good. Improving. Okay. Very good. Um, Jim Watson. What's the latest on Jim? It's a friend of Jack and Pam's. He was a D.O.M. when they were at Pearsall. About About the same. He's on hospice, so he's near the end of his life. He's almost finished with his race. Um... Kenneth Laird um, has, what does that do? Doesn't have, they don't know what he has? Well, bacteria, it was not, not that Okay. Okay. So there was originally a, a lot of different things floating out there about what was wrong with him, and so he is home. It was some sort of bacterial thing? Okay. Praise the Lord, because he was at the funeral on Monday. Uh, Kim Rickelson Wright. Um, I forget what's she has cervical cancer okay so friend of, of the Ratliff so pray pray for her um Sterling what's the latest with Sterling okay so that's that's Kyler's special friend am I saying that right okay um and he had, was stepped on by a bull, serious injury to his, his right hand. Um, and so in, battling infection, going to be on antibiotics for quite a while. Um, so please pray for Sterling. Um, some folks got up and, and left in the middle of it. And if you're um, involved with the school at all, you know, you know little Tyler. Tyler's dad, Kyle Kane, um, has MRSA. And uh, that's pretty serious stuff. So ask that we would pray for him as well. Um, any other prayer requests to, to pass along to you or to pass along updates. Jared Yes.
1: Lou.